Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Better late than never, I suppose. For some of you joining us live, we're a couple minutes later than expected, but appreciate you all tuning in if you are watching us live or if you're catching us after the fact. Uh, we weren't late then. We're, we're doing okay. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I am joined by the birthday boy, John Sheeran. Uh, what, are, what are we celebrating? 21, John? Just kidding. Uh, Let's go with that. Yeah. 25, I guess, if we have to be honest with, with ourselves. How was, How was it? It was very nice. Um, me and my family went to the precinct, which as a lot of you now know is like the, the hotspot for attracting Bengals free agents. Um, I've been there a lot in my life. It was actually my my Steelers fan grandfather's favorite place to go for their anniversary. So I've, I've been a frequent uh, guest there. Uh, for the first time, though, last week, we sat in like the bar area in like the back of the restaurant and apparently in the booth next to us my dad like had gotten up to go to the bathroom and he came back to our table and he said hey john i think there's a Bengals player sitting next to us in the in the booth next to us I'm like oh that's interesting um i, I wonder if they're like celebrating something and, and then i thought to myself me and logan wilson we share the exact same birthday like we were both born on july 8th 1996 he turned 25 the same day i turned 25 I'm like, I wonder if Logan Wilson is here celebrating his birthday. So I asked my dad, hey, so what does this guy look like? Well, he has a Bengals hat on and, and he's white and he's kind of like kind of like medium build. Like, oh, my God, that's, that's probably Logan Wilson. So I don't want to like get up and like disturb his meal or like make it obvious that I'm looking over to his table. So I just just chill. We just have a nice, very nice dinner, had the New York strip there. And I just wait for, I guess, their table to get up and then I can get a look at him. And they finally get up after like an hour and I see just the most average looking white dude. who's like 5'10", maybe like 190 pounds, like the most scraggly beard possible. And hmm. I just slowly turn my head over to, to my dad. I'm like, that is not Logan Wilson or anyone who's ever touched an NFL football field. But <laughs> dinner was nice. Birthday was nice. And Logan Wilson, if you're out there listening, hope you had a happy 25th birthday as well. Oh, that's a that's a good story. I like that one. Um, yeah, Logan is. I think he's represented by Carrick Sports, who uh, that we we they were kind enough to give us access to Marcus Bailey last year, and um, Logan Wilson, one of our guys that we think can can potentially break out for the Bengals in his second year. We're gonna end the show on one of our last segments with a breakout player. Um, it won't be Logan Wilson. We'll spoil it that way for you, but. Maybe we'll do Logan Wilson down the road if we're so inclined. We're going to get to a breakout player. We're going to get to some headlines. And then, of course, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. Um, we've, we've got a positional preview as well. And an announcement, a little bit of one at the end of the show. I'm going to surprise my co-host maybe a little bit because we haven't had a chance to connect on it. But happy to have everyone with us. Happy belated birthday to John Good to be back talking some Bengals. If it feels like we haven't been on for a while, but um, hey, let's let's start the show. Why not? Why not start it this way? Let's start it with the haters. Ben Volin of uh, what is it, Boston Globe, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the he puts out this article that basically I don't know arbitrarily ranks 
And this is a guy covering the New England Patriots. He's probably been to every single city, every single downtown, and spent a weekend or more there. So he is a guy who, I guess, feels that he's got the clout and or the experience to rank downtowns and city experiences and all of that. And wouldn't you know it that Cincinnati and its downtown ranked dead last in Ben Volin's arbitrary list of best and worst NFL cities in the league. I will give him credit here, though, John. It's not like he put the New England experience like top five, top of the list, and total went total homer with it. I think New England's and Foxborough was, was middle of the road. But let's start with the haters, man. What do you think about this? Whenever there's a list like this, if you rank an entire group of things from best to worst, there's always going to be someone who gets hurt. And in this case, it just happens to be Cincinnati. If we, if we can read his entire prompt describing the city. And I guess it's for the record, this was, um, I guess, describing the entire experience of traveling, spending a weekend in Cincinnati, not just the game day experience, but the tailgating, what to do in the city. And I guess also factoring in just the quality of games and the quality of the team itself. So he said, quote, Cincinnati, the ribs at Montgomery Inn are great. True. And you can stay across the river in Covington to cross Kentucky off your list of states to visit. But there's not much going on in downtown Cincinnati. The stadium has no tailgating space and Bengals games are rarely exciting. Well, there are some hints of truth here. Montgomery Inn, fantastic. Um, I believe who was who was on a couple months ago who, who loved Montgomery Inn. He played for the Dolphins. Um, oh, you're yeah, yeah, exactly. So we all know Montgomery is great. Um, Covington's actually very beautiful. It's very nice to stay there, and you have a great view of downtown Cincinnati. The skyline of Cincinnati is fantastic. I can't believe he left off Skyline Chili in this description. I guess he's never had it before. Um, but there is one thing that I think I think Ben either hasn't been to Cincinnati in, in a while or just doesn't really know. But the differences in downtown Cincinnati compared to like 15 years ago, it, it's a it's a whole new city, man. And I think that the Bengals benefit from just the growth of downtown and the banks and just the, the growth of, of commerce and industry um, just between this, the, the two professional stadiums. Like it's so much better than what it used to be. And I know that Ben has been in the game for a long time and he's been to many of these cities and has a good idea about what everything is and what it entails. But I think that Cincinnati does deserve more credit for that, for, for it being a more attractive city to visit, especially just for a weekend, if you're going to a game, and like, but at the same time, like uh, he's, he is right. That tailgating space has dwindled significantly with the growth of the banks. Like the, the parking lots um, are, they're just not as spacious as they used to be. There's obviously more development where some of the old parking lots used to be. So compared to other massive stadiums like Dallas and Arizona, there's not a lot of places to park, sit up your grill and have a traditional tail tailgating experience. But I think that, you know, this doesn't do a great job of, really describing how much that area has grown in terms of just being a modernized downtown area for people to hang out and chill and have a good time leading up to the game. And then lastly, Bengals games are really exciting. You kind of have to give them that one. They've, they've had a waiting season in five years. I, I guess I can give them that one. And look, I can't, I can't pretend to, uh, I can't pretend to, you know, say I'm a local because I don't live in Cincinnati. I've, I've visited a handful of times. I've had a great time every, um, ever, every time I've been there. And yes, I channeled a little bit of a Sam Weish quote there. I don't live in, don't live in Cincinnati. I guess a, a twist on one. But <laughs> look, um, my my mind went to a couple of different things. And by the way, we have a, a listener. Uh, I think it's it's here. It's John Wick. I got a bone to pick with John Wick. He put out a tweet about the best California Bengals fans, and I was not included in that tweet, John. What's the deal, man? What's the deal? Come on. Uh, just kidding. We love you, John. But uh, look, my mind went to a couple of different places with this. Number one, when I have been there and out there for games, and I think you can just sense this when you look at Twitter, you look at social media, all of it. The, the, the passion of Bengals fans really rivals, I think, any other fan base. And it, I think it, it, it can definitely be said that that is true because a lot of us have stuck through a lot of bad years, like you just mentioned at the end of your statement there, John. And there's a lot of bad years, and we have stuck through them. We have remained passionate. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that says kind of a lot about the fan base itself. The other thing 
where my mind went after reading this was uh, I think it was was it Seth Reese or Seth, Seth Tanner? I, I can't remember his Seth last. Tanner. Seth Tanner, yes. Um, Bengals, I think he's a media relations guy for them. Look, he said, you know, there's going to be this, this is going to be proven wrong because of something that's coming out this year, what the Bengals are going to be doing, what that is, we're not quite sure. But John, where I went with this is maybe he's got a point that Cincinnati in the past has not been, um, you know, the greatest tailgate slash weekend football experience. I don't agree with that, but maybe he's got some valid, valid points there. But I, where I went with this was the ring of honor and what the Bengals are trying to do. And our, our conversations about, you know, do you build a little wing at Paul Brown stadium, honoring some of these players have some relics, some, you know, some players there that are hanging out and, you know, uh, from yesteryear and make that a kind of experience and a fan driven experience, not only for Bengals fans, but, for out of town fans that are maybe rooting for the away team and you go into this little thing, if you are a true football fan, you go maybe into this wing, if that's what the Bengals plan to build and you say, this is kind of a cool experience. I didn't know about this guy. I didn't know the Bengals had all these great players. Wow. And you get educated as a fan from another team and you get kind of your, a little bit more of a weekend experience. And maybe that all ties into the ring of honor. I don't know. Maybe I'm just spit firing and talking nonsense but that was a thought that i had about everything with this no for sure shout out seth tanner he was hired on last year i think he came originally from the kansas city chiefs obviously they are well known for their game day experience and everything that's great about kansas city in that in that area he like their plan for enhancing the game day experience that was supposed to be last year they couldn't really utilize it because of covid and everything but i, I do believe that everything about that just in stadium experience is going to be enhanced. And that's like, they need to do that, right? They need to take advantage of, you know, the passions, the passion that this fan base has and how much that stadium gets filled when the team is good. Like they need, they need that because honestly, the nature of this list, it's, it's comparing 30 metropolitan areas of the country. When you compare just the biggest cities and the most, you know, the most vibrant cities and communities in the United States, Cincinnati does not come close in terms of population and just things to do compared to, you know, the big cities like New York and Chicago and even New Orleans, who I believe was number one on Ben's list. Like Cincinnati, they don't have that advantage, that market size to, to offer, you know, just the casual NFL fan a way to like, Hey, come travel to us, come see a Bengals game on the road compared to other great cities in America. Like they can't compete with Bourbon Street in New Orleans. They can't compete with, with the, the history of Lambeau Field in Green Bay. They can't compete with South South Beach in Miami. So I think it's really up to Seth to make sure that that game day experience is phenomenal. And also I think what's on Cincinnati's side and just inviting other opposing fan bases or just casual NFL fans trying to, to check off other stadiums and cities on their wish list. Cincinnati is a great place to just just see a game and just interact with Bengals fans because Bengals fans have been through a lot and they don't just, you know, alienate opposing fan bases because, you know, they don't, they don't wear orange and black. You know, they're, they're very welcoming to other fan bases because they know the hardships. They know the hurt of, of suffering through losing seasons. And, you know, whenever you just hang out with, with them in bars or in tailgates and parking lots, whatever, it, it's very open. It's a great vibe. And that should also enhance the, the overall experience as well. So it's, it's not going to get better and unless Cincinnati becomes this metropolitan city that compares to other big cities in America. And like they, they also move next to a beach or something to compete with these other cities, but the better the game day experience is, the better the team is, the sooner they'll rise up this list. Well, and the thing is, is the more that these types of hit articles or hit pieces out there on the team, it seems as if finally over the past couple of years, likely spearheaded by Elizabeth Blackburn, the team is listening and they are making the strides necessary to do what they can to, you know, make a, a good fan experience at the games into the off season, everything um, as we've seen really over the past couple of seasons, like I mentioned and the cool uniform unveiling that they did this year, all of the, the hype around the past two draft classes and whatnot. Um, you know, they've, they've really revved things up and, you know, I, uh, hopefully that begins to lead to these kind of hit pieces going away uh, <laughs> for the Cincinnati Bengals and or the city of Cincinnati. Again, we don't really want to give too much run to this because it is an arbitrary list, but it was something where you go, well, man, hey, hey, 
take it easy a little bit. Take it easy there, Ben. Uh, let's let's transition. I think you wrote this one up on Cincy Jungle. We don't have to talk too much about this, John, but I chatted about this on the water cooler chat yesterday. This one was just interesting to me because it actually had a positive spin in terms of the Bengals and where they fare in uh, where, where some predict them to fare in 2021 and the rest of the AFC North. This is on cincyjungle.com. And here you go, man. I mean, you, you can tell us about this because you put this up here, but they've got the Bengals with a winning record, not making the playoffs even with an extra seed there, the sev- that seventh seed that's been added and the extra game. They've got them at nine and eight. And the odd thing, man, I don't know how it's possible with these teams playing each other twice throughout the season, but they've got them one win apart, basically – you know, Ravens, the Browns, and Steelers, the Bengals. Ravens twelve and five, Browns eleven and six, Steelers ten and seven, Bengals nine and eight. Since you wrote this up, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this prediction here. No, like the, that's the whole crux of this. Like, I think this was a collective effort by CBS Sports and their different writers in, in predicting records for every single team. But I think in, in this overall process, they didn't ultimately come to a a aggregate record of that would net out to 500, which is what happens every single year. So I don't think this is entirely accurate in terms of how it can actually unfold, but man, what would happen if the Bengals finished nine and eight finished above 500 for the first time in half a decade and still finished last in the division? Like what, what would that mean for Zach Taylor? I, Cause that's honestly like it, it. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Like I, it, it may have happened once or twice, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. And I guess if any division, if this is possible, especially in the AFC, I guess it has to be the North. Like you have to think there is some regression coming for the Steelers and maybe even for the Ravens and Browns itself. But if the Bengals finish nine and eight and you're looking at this from the end of the year, they miss the they not only miss the playoffs, but they're in last place. What what does that mean for Zach Taylor? What, what are the optics of either keeping him or firing him after that season? That's a, a fantastic question. It kind of piggybacks. I'll try and uh, pin it up here from one we got from our buddy Mike Holbrook on Facebook. Um, essentially, uh, here it is right here. Um, essentially asking what record will coach have to have to keep his job this year? And that kind of ties into your comment here about, you know, Bengals are, uh, to me, you go, Bengals are nine and eight that's a pretty big leap forward from the past couple of years. They've got a winning record. You kind of feel good about the young core of players at that point. But like you said, if this really plays out this way, they're still cellar dwellers, right? So it's kind of like, I mean, is that really a, a badge of honor at that point? And what message then do you, it, it does that send whether you keep or fire Zach Taylor, if this were to come to fruition, uh, you know, if, if you are a winning, you got a winning record, you don't make the playoffs and you've shown that big leap of progress that Bengals fans have been wanting so badly over these past couple of years. And you see that with not a nine win season, but you still can't keep up with the Joneses in the rest of the division. I, I don't, I, what does that, what does that tell the rest of your locker room? Hey, winning record but last place, and we're not making any changes. This may be, John, if this were to play out some, something like this, where the Bengals have a winning record, but they are still last in the division, this may be where we see the little bit of a concession where Zach Taylor maybe keeps his job, but then you start seeing some of his assistants and whatnot being shown the door, and they will note, the Bengals would note progress. And I would say, you know, nine wins from there is showing progress, but that is, you bring up a really interesting uh, conundrum there with the Bengals having a winning record, showing progress, but being in last place in this scenario. Yeah, and we have some comments saying, like, the Patriots went 11-5 and five and missed the playoffs. The Browns went 10-6 and six one year, missed the playoffs. Like, that, that does happen, but it's very rare, at least in the 16-game format, for a team to finish above 500, not, not just at 500, above 500, and finish last, which obviously means they can't make the playoffs. There's not enough wildcard teams for that to actually happen. And I think if, if you do finish nine and eight and you're somehow third or fourth in, the, in your own division, probably means you didn't do well in your own division. Like there's no way that you can, you could have gone 500 or above in your six division games. If your fellow division opponents have 12, 11 
in 10 wins. And then I know that everyone thinks that the Steelers are going to progress and that this is the chance for the Bengals to move out of fourth place to at least the third place. But this this would be interesting. And I, I, I do think that this is more possible now with the 17-game schedule, with that extra division, with that extra game against an interconference opponent. Like if they go 4-0 against the NFC, that definitely helps the AFC North and increasing the chances of, you know, three of them making the playoffs again, which I believe this does have that happening. They have the Chiefs at one, Bills with the two seed, Ravens, Titans, Browns, Colts, and Steelers, which, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that the same exact seven teams that made the playoffs last year, which would be very unlikely in the NFL from a year-to-year standpoint? It, it Correct. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those those are good teams, and they've done, the, they've done particularly Kansas City. You can even look at Tennessee in some respects with the Julio Jones trade, but particularly Kansas City doing a lot to fix their issues that we saw on center stage in the Super Bowl uh, with the offensive line additions that they have made. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is rare rare in this day and age in the NFL because it is a, a league built on parity and teams are doing what they can and, you know, injuries hit different teams and how they cope with all of that is all, you know, kind of, kind of different. But uh, at any rate, interesting article there as the the Bengals maybe are picked by CBS Sports to be a little bit better than some other pundits picked them to be at, at this point in time for this for this year. And I, I guess it would be I, I had kind of nine wins as maybe a, a point that the Bengals could reach this year. I, I think a lot of things had to go right and they had to mature fast and show progress. I guess I would feel more confident about that, obviously if Joe Burrow was playing the rest of last year and you continue to see those steps, maybe they won, you know, six games last year and then they made the additions they made. But, uh, you know, that's not the reality that we're, we're dealing with at this point. I want to go here, John, and this is just a little bit of, we had a little mention of Bengal Jim here. So here's, here's Bengal Jim on cincyjungle.com. This is from our fearless leader over there, Jason Markham. And this is uh, kind of some training camp dates, I believe, and, of course, a big announcement that they made, John. And this kind of goes, ties into a little bit what we're talking about with the first story that we covered in the, what the Bengals are doing with the Ring of Honor and all of that. But they are going, they announced that they are going to be inviting fans back to Paul Brown Stadium for Back Together Saturday on July 31st. Um, Fans can watch the practice and there's family-friendly activities, inflatables, face painting, balloon artist pictures. I'm sure there's a uh, adult beverage and non-adult beverage garden (laughs) of some kind. They'll have all kinds of different things. And the big thing about this, John, is it just seems like a bit of normalcy after everything that we experienced all of last year into this year. And uh, it seems as if they are going to be pretty safe about this, but um, just kind of feels nice that fans will be welcomed back. And uh, I think they're, what what are they letting in upwards of 5,000, I think to this event, I think I read. So pretty cool thing here. And it sounds like a fun event. Yeah. Like a lot of my memories growing up involve watching Bengals training camp, especially in the old days when they were down in Georgetown and they had those practices in like the Georgetown stadium. So you always had a good view other practices and they also had other practice fields that you can go around but you know they've had this family day type event during normal years ever since they moved back to Cincinnati for training camp it's, it's fun you know you're you can be in the shade if you're on the west side during the day uh, you always have a good view again of the practice field everything is on one field so you don't have to worry about going over to another field or looking you know on the, on the far side of the field like everything is pretty much in front of you so if you are considering going to training camp for the first time or going back after a year off from COVID, I would definitely recommend this. I guess it should be noted that in years past, you know, they've had upwards of like a dozen open practices to the public this year. It's only three, including yeah. this type of deal on, on July 31st. I think the other open practices are on Saturday, August 7th and Sunday, August 8th, which I believe, it, I, I don't know if, I, I think that's actually on the practice field. So th- those are on just the traditional training camp practice fields where it has been for the past 10, 10 or so years but this, this seems like a lot of fun for people who want to get, get back into the, into the swing of things. Maybe you've never seen a practice uh, in, in person before. So definitely check this out if you're interested. And I think I think the first preseason game as we sit here on Wednesday, July 14th, I think we're just about a month out from the first preseason game. Are we not, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, 
pretty pretty good stuff and a, a fun event. And it's uh, you can go. I put the link in all of the live chats there. Bangles.com backslash camp. You can go check that out and sign up for your tickets. I have no idea how many are left available at this point in time, but um, go check that out. And uh, if you are so inclined, and uh, should be a good time and a little bit of steps towards normalcy. And like you said, they, they didn't open the floodgates completely in terms of the amount of practices and events that fans can attend, but they, they had a limited number and this, this seems like a cool event. So wanted to share that in terms of the dates, if folks had not heard anything else you want to get to before I let you uh, take the lead in just a second on the positional preview. Um, just real quick um, pro football reference, the, just God site for NFL statistics apparently have been doing this for like a decade. They've been compiling research over like from 1960 to 1981 of unofficial sack numbers. Now the NFL did not recognize quarterback sacks as an official statistic until the 1982 season. But obviously there are plenty of hall of fame pass rushers who played in the sixties and seventies. And they obviously registered their quarterback sacks during those time periods. And that information has always been very tough to find. You had to go to like, you know, wh- wherever they did compile this stuff. It took a long time, but this week they posted these unofficial stack numbers on their website. And we got a, a lot of clarity on just how productive some of these former Bengals players in the seventies were. I, I know that Eddie Edwards is recognized as the official team leader on Bengals.com in terms of sacks with 83 and a half on pro football Eddie Edwards is credited with 84 and a half sacks from 1977 to 1988. So those first, I believe that's five years of him in a Bengals uniform that is now unofficially official, if you will, because it's still not considered an official statistic, but the numbers are there to be posted. And honestly, when, when doing some research on this and putting together like the, the official unofficial top 10 career sack leaders and top 10 single season sack leaders, I learned a lot about Mike Reed, who I'd never heard of before in my life, which is why this Ring of Honor thing is such a big deal. Mike Reed played like five years and like as one of like the first Bengals rosters in like the early 70s. And he's, I think, sixth all time in sacks in unofficial sacks with 49. So it's averaging 10 a year. And which is why like he's listed three times in the top 10 single season sack leader list. He had 13 sacks in 1973. 12 sacks in 1972, 1971. I believe he was a two-time pro bowler and an all-pro. And he was like kind of on the on the smaller size. So he was like the Geno Atkins before Geno Atkins 40 years later, but just playing in a totally different era of football. So just seeing that, uh, you know, posted for everyone to see and kind of learning about, you know, Edwards and obviously Coy Bacon's 21 and a half sacks from 1976. That was really nice to see and really nice to learn about a Bengals former great that I never even knew before. Yeah, he's also a country music artist, I guess. I, I, that's something I learned a little bit about him, too. And another name, you know, you got Gary Burley in there, another guy that uh, is is a name that, that old-time Bengals fans are familiar with as well and a great guy. Um, you know, it's it's really cool to see that. Now, I correct me if I'm wrong, I still don't think the NFL has officially recognized those stats, no. more the pro football reference which is like one of the sites I geek out on the most um, and <laughs> that uh, they, they have done the legwork in compiling this. So hopefully this is one of those steps where then the NFL itself follows suit and says, Hey, you know, these are, uh, these are st- statistics worth counting and worth um, accounting for in terms of NFL history. But yeah, Coy Bacon and and Mike Reed and a lot of different, a lot of different players, you get to know those guys when Stuff like this happens, so uh, appreciate you bringing that up. Before we get to the position, I won't. I'll let my co-host tell you which position we're going to get to. We want to tell you about Symbol S I M B U L L. You heard us talk about it before. It is the stock market for sports, John, as you know, and I hope our listeners know at this point. You can go to S I M B U L L back dot A P P backslash O B I. And I will put that link in all of the chats as well. And if you go there and you use the promo code OBI, you get a $10 sign-up bonus. What does that go to? Well, when you sign up for Symbol, you can invest your money in teams. And you can put that 
$10 bonus right in your right in your account there and invest it in the team of your choice. Maybe it's the Bengals based on what you what you feel about them this year or John, maybe the Reds, other teams out there, they don't just limit it to to National Football League. Absolutely. If you guys are watching the NBA Finals right now, the Bucks and the Suns I think are playing as we speak. Game 4, uh Suns have a 2-1 lead. Right now the Bucks are priced at $41, the Suns are priced at $38. If you guys think that the potential winner of that series is about to start a dynasty in the NBA. All you have to do is just invest at the current price and then watch your earnings either grow or diminish based off of your knowledge of the sports. It's really just leveraging and weaponizing your knowledge of every MLB, NBA, NFL, and now starting July 1st, college football team and just playing for the long run. You know, in college football, you have the, the four highest priced teams are Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, maybe the Bengals draft strategies based off a symbol. I don't know. We have a lot of players from those teams, but that's basically the crux of it. And just like Anthony said, if you want to get $10 off on your first deposit, go to www.simbull.app backslash OBI. Get that $10 off. Start investing. It's a long play. You got you to do it. If you're doing fantasy football, if you're doing sports betting, if you play the stock market, you got to get in on symbol. It's a fun way to make money and potentially make money on teams that you're passionate about. What's better than that? John, what, what position are we going with this week? So we started this position group preview a few weeks ago. We started cornerbacks, then went to offense with tight ends, went back to defensive linebackers. Going back to offense now, we're going with a position of a lot of controversy, a lot of competition on the back end of the roster, quarterbacks. Not that much <laughs> controversy here. It's, it's, the, it's the dead season. You know, we want to save some of those juicier positions for – when things are actually happening, but you know, it's, it's quarterbacks. There's four of them on the roster right now. We all know one, his name is Joe Burrow. We all know his backup. His name is Brandon Allen. And then there's two other guys in Kyle Shermer and Eric Dungy, who I'll be honest. I know nothing about. I think he went to Syracuse. If I, w- I want to say mm-hmm. Kyle Shermer is the son of longtime NFL coach, Pat Shermer. I accidentally stood behind him in Paul Brown Stadium when I went to see the Bengals jerseys. I believe he was just doing some rehabilitation in the stadium. He's a tall guy at 6'4". Anthony, like, there's not that much to talk about, which is why we kind of saved it for this episode right before training camp starts. But it's it's really just, like, I don't know. Like, just how bad does Brandon Allen have to screw up, I guess? Like, they, they invested a year uh, in him for this year, just a one-year deal for his contract. And then Shermer and Dungey are just here to take the reps. And aside from that, I guess, I mean, we've talked about Burrow ad nauseum. Every single angle of his recovery, his potential in year two breakout. In terms of just the overall positional structure, though, is there any any possibility that with Burrow's ongoing recovery that there is a chance that either Shermer or Dungey even sneak the week one roster? So we'll we'll we can start with that one. Maybe we talk a little burrow to to end the preview, the positional preview here, just to see maybe outlook and what expectations and whatnot. But I, I guess where I would go with this, John, would be comfortability level with Brandon Allen based on what we saw last year, and the other two, quote unquote, pushing him for a backup spot. Is there a veteran option out there that the Bengals may be waiting in the weeds for to, to pounce on? And and maybe there's someone out there. We've seen them make moves. Now, this was under Marvin Lewis, but we've seen them make moves for uh, for players that – in quarterbacks after last cuts. Who was, the, who was the one kid from Central Michigan a few years ago? His name escapes me. They, they bounced him on and off the roster. There was a kid from Oklahoma State that uh, they grabbed from the Lions, I think. So – after final cuts. Now this, this was again, probably five plus years ago. I got to go back, but those are just kind of some top of the head type of scenarios that have popped up. I, you know, I, I, I liked a lot of things that I saw from Brandon Allen. He actually surprised me in a pleasant way at, at times last year. I just don't know how, if he's the only guy on the roster, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to gauge my comfort level with that behind Joe Burrow. And they may only go to quarterbacks based on who they currently have. And if Joe Burrow is proving to be on track with rehab, going to start, 
and fully healthy, all of that. They, they may go light at quarterback to go heavy at some of these other crowded position groups we've talked about, wide receiver, linebacker, whatnot. I don't know. But um, I, it's it's really, to me, the, the main question, aside from Joe Burrow's health, his rehab, how all of that's going, it's how confident are we in Brandon Allen? Should he need to step in, whether it's in week one, and get that spot start, or if, God forbid, we're going down the same road that we did at the end of last year. Well, just imagine asking this question 11 months ago, which is when Brandon Allen joined the team. Mm-hmm. At the time, you had Joe Burrow with, with two perfectly fine knees. You had Ryan Finley entering his second year, a former fourth-round pick, and you had Jake Dolagala, I believe, still on the roster, who, you know, surprised people with his 2019 training camp, and people expected him to compete with Ryan Finley for that backup job. And then four weeks after Brandon Allen gets signed, he's like, he's on the roster. He's more than just a COVID backup. If you will, he's the guy who's actually pushing Ryan Finley for potential snaps. And then when the chips were down and Burroughs on the stretcher, Finley came in, he stunk it up. And then they immediately went to Brandon Allen. No one expected anything from Brandon Allen, who was just a career backup. He had a couple starts here and there with, with the Broncos, but never really did anything to establish himself. He was available in late July of 2020 for a reason. And then he surprisingly was decently effective behind a terrible offensive line and a limited receiving core in terms of explosion and athleticism. So now you're looking at Brandon Allen as like, oh yeah, he's like one of the top backup quarterbacks in the NFL based off what he did last year. And there is comfortability with him potentially just carrying or just monitoring an offense being like the point guard facilitator, if you will. That was what we tried to explain was Andy Dalton for the last couple of years of his career there, here. So the perception of Brandon Allen has changed dramatically over a year. And I just think that's like the nature of how marginal some of these backup quarterbacks are and how crazy their trajectories can become based off of a situation and opportunity. Because if Brandon Allen, you know, if, if Joe Burrow never gets hurt, and Brandon Allen never sees the field. Like you're not thinking of Brandon Allen any different than you thought of him last year when they just brought him in because he happened to know Zach Taylor because there was connection with you know the early parts of his career. I don't want to. I don't want to go down the road of no Joe Burrow because that's just a a depressing road to go down. But uh, I will say this that when Brandon Allen was in last year, he did not have at certain points. Um, specific offensive lineman. He did not have a, a Riley Reef. He did not have Joe Mixon in there. He did not have a Jamar Chase in there. He did not have a revamped uh, T. Higgins. <laughs> T. Higgins was playing well for him, but he did not have the T. Higgins we have seen this offseason, at least. So if it does come down to Brandon Allen needing to get a spot start, needing to come in for some playing time for whatever reason, Um, You know, I I guess I would be a little bit more confident based on the fact that the Bengals have done a little bit at some of their weaker areas and or replenished some talent, maybe got healthier at some critical critical spots with critical players. So I would feel a little bit more comfortable that way. And I guess if we have to talk about Burrow or if we have to talk about something new with Burrow, because we've, again, overanalyzed everything with his recovery and projecting him this year, I guess we can kind of talk about just what to expect in the next few weeks, you know, training camp is starting in a couple weeks now. For all intents and purposes, we're operating under the assumption that Burrow is not going to really have any limitations, but that doesn't mean to have him do everything that he would normally do if there wasn't an injury in play here. I, I, you know, based off what he said in May and June during OTAs, he was like 85% of the way there. And, you know, projecting that into August and September, that meant that he was going to be 100% by the time the chips are down and things are going for real. But I guess it's like, even if Burrow can do basically 95% of everything in training camp and preseason, how much do you want him to do? Or are, are you, are you comfortable with, you know, creating these simulated scenarios where he's, he's facing even the slightest bit of pressure because like he may not see a snap in the preseason. And I think everyone would be fine with that, but to just throw him in again, into just the regular season without any, you know, real live action reps, it's it's going to be something interesting to monitor. I agree with you, and you don't want to rush him in if he's not ready. But I, I think if what happened last year didn't happen, 
not only the no preseason games, but the shortened season because of his injury. Um, I, I, I think you got to give him something if he's able, if he's able to get out there, I think you got to give him something. And I don't think in a preseason game, yeah, you may have some, some young and hungry guys out there trying to get a, a roster spot and, you know, maybe there's some pressure or whatnot, but um, you know, I I would like to see if, if he is ready to go, I would like to see maybe just a little bit of time. So he gets a little bit of that rust off. It has been since what early November, right. Since he, since he played a meaningful snap in a game and I don't know, I would like to see something, but again, I do not want to risk the merchandise as Jay Gruden would say, don't touch the merchandise. Um, So I, I, I get the mindset either way. My guess is they probably won't play him in preseason. They don't even want to risk that, but there are risks with that just from a rust uh, perspective. So I don't know expectations for Burrow from you this year. I think we all know he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. I think we all think he's going to come in and, and play well, but just how well are we talking? You, you, do you think we're talking comeback player of the year, MVP? Do you think we're kind of saying, hey, you know, still that top 10-ish uh, type of type of performance because he is coming back from that injury? I mean, what what are your expectations for him this year as he comes back from this injury? If he's not at all bothered or hindered um, on the way for this comeback, there's no reason why he can't produce like an above-average quarterback. Reaching that top 10 status – and whatever meaningful metric that you want to throw out there, like it, it, it's all there. Like the offensive line is good enough. The receiving core is by far top 10, top five in the league. You have an entire scheme that's now a year and a half in the making that's built around him and what he does well. Like my, I know there's still questions of Zach Taylor and, and just his ability to manage a game and to, you know, lead a productive offense, but that productive offense usually comes from the quarterback. Like he's the most important person on the team and in operations. And when he's this good, there's no reason why it shouldn't be as good as you want it to be with everything that, uh, with everything else that's around him. So like expectations wise, you know, it's, it's hard to throw numbers out there, but like the Bengals passing career, passing yardage record for a season was set by Andy Dalton. as like 4,300 yards. Like if Joe Burrow plays 17 games with Jamar chase, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, there's no reason why he shouldn't eclipse 4,000 yards and, be in contention of the record or potentially break it. Like we could look back six, seven years from now and think 4,400 yards for Joe Burrow. That, that's, that's a light day. Like that, that's the expectation when you have a good quarterback in the year 2021 in the NFL, like 4,000 yards is it, it, nothing. It, it happens to just average quarterbacks now. And it rarely happened for Bengals quarterbacks in, in recent years after Carson Palmer. But as soon as the game evolved to the point now we're passing this King and teams are throwing the ball 600 times a year, like that's the expectation. You have the quarterback, you have the receivers. As long as the quarterback is healthy and he has enough time and he can throw the ball consistently under three seconds, there's no reason why he shouldn't have one of the most productive quarterback seasons in recent Bengals history. Yeah, nine and a half games, 10 if you want to call it that, uh, he he averaged basically 269 yards passing per game, did Joe Burrow. And uh, I, I think... Gosh, what was it at the beginning of the year here? It was one, two, three. I mean, there's three 300-yard passing games in a row um, in weeks two through four. Then he had another one in week six against Indianapolis, a 400-yarder against Cleveland. Um, So, I mean, he was was dealing towards the beginning, middle of that season. And, you know, there's no – aside from maybe a rehab hiccup, there's no real reason to believe that he can't produce the same, and if not better. He too, by the way, as we know, he too has been going through a rigorous workout regimen, not only to rehab that knee, but also upper body, building some strength and trying to work on that deep ball. He's now got the big-time receiver that he's got the rapport with it, it, from LSU and Jamar Chase. T. Higgins looks like a monster. So, yeah, I mean, let's go. <laughs> And, and I know there's still going to be people who are questioning the offensive line. We have freaking William Perry, shout out to the fridge, questioning yeah, the fridge. it. Like, like, like the O line does have stuff to prove. That's true. But you, like, you just heard Anthony, right? He was still productive behind that terrible offensive line. And in terms of just individual expectations, he can still produce behind an offensive line that doesn't have to be above average or even average. Like, if the offensive line just barely improves, 
he can still throw for a lot of yards, and he, his touchdown interception ratio was still thirteen to five. It was he was still pretty productive for a rookie playing with very non-explosive weapons. And in terms of like being comeback player of the year, I guess that does have to do with being successful and being in the limelight and being in playoff contention. So that is obviously remains to be seen, but in terms of just him, just progressing in that year two jump that most great quarterbacks take, there's no reason why this Bengals team right now can't provide that for him. Yeah. The one caveat too, and I, I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but the one caveat too is Joe Mixon and their commitment to the run game and where that's going to fall into place. Obviously the Bengals want to get the run game going. They probably will be a pass first team or a pass often team. Um, but I mean, they are committed. They, they paid Joe Mixon that big contract. They brought back Frank Pollock and they gave him a designation as a run game coordinator. So they are going to try to do something to get the run game going, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to eat into a lot of Joe Burrow's stats and whatnot. As it goes with Shermer, Allen and uh, Dungy, really it's kind of just, what do they do in the preseason? Do they do enough in the, in the game scenarios to, to raise enough eyebrows, gain enough interest, and it's kind of the Jake Dolagala thing, right? I mean, are, are you promising enough to either keep you on the practice squad and develop you that way, or are you, you know, are you going to kind of falter when it comes to playing B, C, D squad guys in the preseason? That's the beauty of being a quarterback. Like there's just not a lot of you. There's only 32 starting jobs. There's typically only 32 backup jobs. So odds are every single team is going to carry a quarterback on their practice squad. And because they brought back the same practice squad rules from last year, there's going to be 16 spots available. So definitely one is going to be there for either Shermer or Dungy. I think Shermer, I guess right now has the, imaginary lead because I guess he's just more experienced and he has the NFL um, brain and, and heritage behind him. But it really just come down to who takes the most of their opportunities because they're going to get plenty if Burrow is not going to be out there in the preseason. And if they're even still limiting him to some degree during training camp, they're going to get plenty of reps with the second and third team. It's just a matter of who does the best with them. Well, that's unless you got anything else, John, that is this week's positional preview, which it has been the quarterbacks, not much of a competition. We know Joe Burrow is the guy, obviously, that goes. I don't even know why I said that out loud, but he's the guy. And uh, there is a scrum for jobs behind him. We'll see how it all plays out. But obviously, the big thing we're all watching is Joe Burrow's rehab, which seems to be headed in an extremely, extremely good direction from what we've seen so far in spring and summer. So that is this week's positional preview. It has been the quarterbacks. We're going to continue on as the weeks progress with different position groups. So definitely want to be in tune for that. Another thing, and I'm letting John do all the work this week, by the way. Another segment we are starting is one we have done on this program quite a bit over the past couple of years, and that is breakout players. It's kind of a tradition now that training camp is coming out, coming coming towards us here in just a, a couple of weeks. So we like to introduce breakout players. Now, what, what breakout means is kind of uh, subjective to the person. It's, it could be someone that ends up uh, carving out a nice role-playing role after being a fringe roster make, or it's a it's a guy who takes the next step after being kind of a rotational guy, maybe is more of a starter, gets more snaps, that sort of thing. So obviously, it just kind of depends. Maybe it's a guy that goes to a starter, to a pro bowler, just depends. But um, we kind of make up our own rules with it. John, who you got for your breakout player this, this week? Right. So uh, as Anthony mentioned, it could be a young player. It could be one entering like the last year of his rookie deal. It could be someone who is stepping into a bigger role or is primed for a bigger role based off how they played last year. Rarely, though, at least in my years of doing this podcast, has it been a free agent signing that the team made for him to be a starter? Like Usually those guys are pretty established in the league and they have established roles and they have established identities with you know like the fan base and people have reasonable expectations for them. But for this week, I wanted to kick off with Larry Ogunjobi. Because I just think that defensive tackle is a position that has been getting a lot of buzz with with this team. There's apparently still reports or rumors about them potentially adding another player to the position group, even though they have like 
nine or 10 of these guys right now on the roster right now, but it was an emphasis this offseason. Like, depth killed them at the position last year. They ran through a ton of bodies that they had to sign during the season because they kept getting injured and they kept getting ran all over every single week and they couldn't generate a pass rush to save their life because Geno Atkins was playing with a bad shoulder, all of that. So their biggest solution to this problem was Larry Ogunjobi, who played his first four years with the Cleveland Browns. He was, I believe, a third-round pick in the 2017 draft. And I remember that draft, like, thinking, like, this was still, like, you know, Geno Atkins was only, like, 30 or 29 at the time, but it was still a point in his career where I'm thinking they need to find a contingency plan for this guy. They need, they need to find a potential successor because he's not going to stay elite forever. And that was one of the biggest issues with, you know, the late Marvin Lewis years. They could not draft defensive tackles to save their lives. They couldn't find any complimentary pass rushing help for Geno Atkins. And Larry Ogunjobi would have been a great solution for that. But the Browns picked him up, they snagged him, and he started for three years for, for Cleveland played various defensive tackle alignments and techniques for the Browns, but he ended his career specifically at nose tackle. So we didn't have a lot of chances to really rush the passer towards the later part of his career with the Browns. But as a player coming out of Charlotte, you know, small school, didn't have a lot of buzz during his college days. He was incredibly productive and he was incredibly athletic. I believe if you look at the mock draftable percentiles, he was 96th percentile in broad jump, 80th in terms of vertical jump. He ran like a 497 40-yard dash at 305 pounds. Like the dude was an athletic ball of clay who was, again, productive at a very small school. So there was a lot of potential with him coming out of college. And obviously you play four years in the NFL and you get a one-year deal worth about $6 million. You know, Obviously things didn't work out exactly as he planned in Cleveland. Or otherwise they probably would have brought him back. But I think this is a great opportunity now surrounded by quality starters on the defense line. You have Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, playing next to DJ Reader on the defensive line. He's going back to his natural position at the three-technique spot. He's going to have a chance to just shoot up field, be a one-gap penetrator, take advantage of that explosion and that speed at his size, and also playing another year in, in a contract year. Like He's getting paid pretty handsomely for a one-year deal, but there is definitely potential for him to, to be something more. He's still 27, 28 years old, I believe, and there's still, I think, a lot of good football ahead of Larry Gunjobi, who's a quality technician along with being athletic as hell. And in terms of just being a poetic successor to Geno Atkins, you know, Geno took him under his wing. As soon as he got into the NFL, he always trained with him in the offseason. He's basically his best friend. And it's really cool to see in the first year that the Bengals moved on from Geno to basically give the reins at this position to one of his closest friends, a younger version of him, only, you know, not nearly as, as productive or as successful, but the potential is there. The athleticism is there. It wasn't best shown in, in the later part of his Cleveland career because he was just used a little bit differently. But there is a clear direction with how they're going to use him now, and they need all the pass rushing help they can get, and then they're going to give him every opportunity to do so. So if any of these free agents are coming in and playing better than they did before, I have a lot of confidence that Larry Ogunjobi is going to be the best one. Every time I watch the Cleveland Browns, namely against the Bengals, and – the Bengals have the football, at least over the past couple of years. I always note that Larry Ogunjobi just seems to be around the football a lot. And he just seems to be an active defensive lineman. And you look at the statistics, John, um, you know, obviously rookie, still kind of finding his way, 32 total tackles and one sack. You look at 2018 and 2019, he had two pretty solid years from a guy that was a movable piece and a, an interior lineman there. I mean, you look at 2018, 52 total tackles, 5.5 sacks, and then follows that up in 2019, 50 total tackles, 5.5 sacks in 2019. Those totals dip a little bit, 46 total tackles last year, two and a half sacks. So maybe that's where they said, you know, we saw maybe a slight regression last year. We're going a little bit of a different direction and they reinvested in some different players. So, he he didn't get a, a ton of activity on the open market, but the Bengals were wise to pounce on this guy, just an active football player. And I, I think this all plays into what Lou Anarumo, Zach Taylor, and all of those guys want to do up front that we have talked about at ad nauseum, where they want to have guys they can move around. They want to have guys they can rotate in. We, we talked about Trey Hendrickson as a guy that they want to even kick inside at times. And this is one of those guys that they just want to rotate in and out. Um, and, and I think he's going to be a heavy, heavy role player on this defense, but they're going to move things around. And I think if, if he 
can do what he did in 2018 and 2019. And if the Bengals can remain a lot more healthy on the defensive line this year, him included, I think you're going to see a big boost on the defensive side of the ball. And I think he would be a, a pretty good reason as to why that is. And if, and if that does happen, like, like you talk about rotation and moving guys around different spots. Like I, I don't, I don't see Ogan Joby really moving off of that position, which I think would definitely benefit him. I think the less that he moves around, the better, the more he can focus on just being that yeah. guy as, as a pass rusher. And, and again, still explosive as hell. He can hold his own in, in the run game against some of these down blocks. But if he does have this type of season where he does prove his worth on this one year deal, I think he is also a guy that they would absolutely consider bringing back because it's more than just being productive on the field. Like a lot of the times, you know, in years past, the Bengals brought in some of these aging veterans who were on the downside of their careers and they provided value because they were productive in in their past or they were a seldom known name. And so they were, they were, you know, cheap to bring in, they were inexpensive, but they didn't really have any aspirations of, you know, making a long-term investment in them. I think with Joby, because he's still in his mid twenties, because he's still talented and because I think Gino probably has told them a lot about who he is as a person and how much they've gotten to know him in the, in the months that he's been in the building. I think he's absolutely a guy that they would be interested in, in retaining for the long term. because if they don't, that's going to be somewhat of an issue, I guess, going into 2022, like who replaces Ogan Joby now as that pass rushing defensive tackle. You have basically no one else who can really slide into three technique. You have a bunch of nose tackles, including reader and Tyler Shelvin, but you don't really have an explosive pass rushing presence who can play that position full time. So it's not only important for Ogan Joby to succeed and, and really up his worth and his value before he enters free agency next year. It's important for the Bengals to really get the most out of him and, and see if this is a guy that they truly do want to invest in long term because he's still going to be, I think, 28, 29 in, in, in a year from now. So there's no reason why they can't add on a couple of years to his next deal. Just a. 53 PFF overall PFF score last year for Ogan Joby. Do you, why do you think the market wasn't, you know, uh, you mentioned a lot of things and rightfully so that point to a, a guy who may still be an ascending player. I mentioned some of the stats from just a couple of seasons ago that were, you know, that point to a pretty solid defensive player. Why do you think the market was kind of a little bit cooler on him and or why the Bengals were able to get a somewhat team friendly one year kind of rental deal out of a guy like this? So it was pretty the market was somewhat saturated at the position. You had guys like J.J. Watt, Dalvin Tomlinson, um, Shelby Harris, Michael Brockers, Roy Robertson Harris, who we talked about a little bit. Like all those guys got more expensive deals than um, Larry Gonjovi. But there I remember some people being surprised the Bengals gave him that much money. Like they gave him like a, a four and a half million dollar signing bonus mm-hmm. to add on to like his one and a half million dollar salary. Some people thought for as long as Ogan Joby stayed on the market, they could have even gotten him for cheaper, but that's just kind of how it was with the defensive tackle market. You know, it started off kind of hot. I think the Patriots made a couple of moves, including Devin Devon Gaucho, who came from the, from the dolphins. So like that was just where the market was established. And then the Bengals kind of just got under that based off of just where the average was. And even still, like after they signed Ogan Joby, they were in the rank, they were in the running for Sheldon Rankins, who's then signed for like five and a half million a year yeah. with the New York Jets. Malcolm Brown signed for like f- the same amount with the Jaguars. Jaron Reed went to the Chiefs for five and a half million. That's just kind of where that that market line was for the position. And there was just a lot of guys there who were on the open market. And then Ogan Joby, I guess, kind of had to wait a little bit longer than some of these other guys. Yeah, Rankins was another guy that uh, I, I know the Bengals were were big on. I think they were even big on him back when uh, he was he was drafted. But look, the Bengals want to get they want they want to improve their pass rush. They need to improve their pass rush. They need to force more big plays on defense, whether it's corralling interceptions that hit players' hands from the in the secondary end or linebackers, whether it's causing more errant passes because of a, a solid pass rush. I mean that. They need big plays from their defense. They need turnovers. They need to create some short fields for Joe Burrow and the offense to really kind of capture leads and maybe start running away with games, not lose these one possession games that we've seen them lose so many times over the past handful of years, despite who was under center. And the Bengals made a concerted effort to try and boost their pass rush with a number of players. And this is a guy that should be able to give them at least a little something from the interior. And if he does, there's more money to be made next year. They have a lot of it. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, good stuff. That is our first potential breakout player of 2021. Larry Ogunjobi, a free agent, has been a pretty solid player. A little bit of a dip in production last year, but uh, a guy that should come in and contribute pretty well on the Bengals' defense. That's going to wrap up most of the show tonight, but it's time for us to drop the mic and get on out of here. John, What? Uh, I'll let you go first, birthday boy. What you got for us? Nothing much, man. It's mid July, and I'm I'm just I'm tired of this off season. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of the dead season. I feel like th- this has been some of the longest four months of my life ever since the draft ended, or if that's even is four months. I think it might only be three. Feels like four. Feels like four years. I'm just ready for training camp next week. I think we have like one more show before it actually starts. But I don't know, man. I'm just like I, I, I like I like the break. I like the I like the downtime to an extent. But it just kind of hit me this week, you know, like I'm just ready to be more busy. I'm ready to be more active. I'm ready to talk about things that might actually start to matter. Yep. And, well, I, I think we're all in that same boat, man. We're uh, especially just because of we, I, we're feeling this this momentum from this team and the young talent and the core of players that they have. So I think we're all in the same boat there. I'm going to start off with a little bit of an announcement We've, we've kind of gone here. That goes really well with our background there. Um, <laughs> that is a just we, – we've talked about this charity fest thing. I don't even know if that's the official name we're calling it, but um, we're, we're getting this going. We do have some prizes already lined up. We do have some, some things lined up. We're going to be doing this in the next couple of weeks. And we did start hearing back from some folks. I won't say who yet in terms of, of special appearances and whatnot, but I will say this – that it, they are associated with a couple of big names within the ring of honor that the Bengals are unveiling this year and some foundations. So what we need, though, from all of you, and we're going to get you the logistics and the details and all that kind of stuff, but what we need from you all is support. And we need, if we're going to you know, commit to helping out some of these great charities that these current and former Bengals players are spearheading, um, you know, they need financial support. They need... Uh, your donations and your donations will will go to a myriad of different Bengals players charities and we've got prizes lined up for donors and all kinds of different swag and, and stuff like that and then of course we're going to be hearing from some of these fine folks former current and former Bengal players and whatnot that um, will be telling us about the the foundations they run um telling them about their careers and all kinds of different things so um we've got a couple of of commitments to that in terms of appearances we've got some prizes and stuff so we're looking forward to to running with that and maybe this will be a little bit of an ongoing thing over the next handful of weeks so we really want to make a significant impact to a number of different charities so john i'm i'm pretty excited about about that and uh you and i will continue planning that absolutely man i'm excited that we're getting stuff starting to roll on this and I'm excited for all of our listeners out there. You know, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of excitement and uh, you know, we, we want to use that excitement to highlight, you know, people that need it, you know, and just maybe foundations and organizations that you may, you may have never even heard of before. And so this is a great opportunity. It's a great time of year to really just engage everybody and put you know, these organizations and these charities in the spotlight, right. As things start to kick off, you know, it's, it should be a great time when we do have it. And I can't wait for all this, all the support from, from you guys, because you guys, it, it's going to be really important. And you, you guys being there for us and being there to support these, these organizations, these charities, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and something that's uh, a little bit different, not only for us, but um, just doing a little something different. And hopefully it, it makes the impact that we wanted to. One last thing. I don't know how public he wants this to be, but if you are on Twitter, Bengals fan, his name is Ryan Yunt. He's a former NFL Network producer. Um, He is a Bengals fan, and he and I follow each other. I'm sure he follows you, John. But if you do not follow him, uh, he did something that I've – so I have to go under the knife for surgery tomorrow on my my arm injury, and I've been kind of fretting about that and freaking out about it a little bit because it's – never done that before, and it's – mine's a minor thing. And I go and I find this on Twitter where Ryan – ended up donating his kidney to his brother to save his brother's life. Um, and I just, that just struck me as like, wow, man, um, <laughs> here I am fretting about this thing. And you did this thing to, to 
your your personal sacrifice to say basically save your brother's life. At least that is the the vibe of the story that I caught there. So if you can, I don't even know if he listens to the show. I know he followed me, and I'm sure he follows you. I don't know if he listens to the show, but Ryan, get well. That's a really really awesome thing that you did, and uh, you know, Bengals Nation's behind you. Um, just just heal up, man, John. I don't know if you caught that caught that story, but I saw that and I was like, whoa, that's that's pretty awesome. I did not, but like like kidney failure and kidney issues, they're they're no joke. And like that that's that's incredible to hear. So cheers to you, Ryan, man. Yeah, big deal. Big deal. And on that note, folks, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for those who tuned in live. Thanks for those who listen after the fact. By the way, I didn't even say this tonight, but go get the show how you can. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major audio platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you also turn on notifications, not only when you subscribe to the podcast channel, but also our YouTube channel, so you can get notified when new material is out, when we go live, all of that, so you can join us. But uh, hey, John, have a good week, bud. Happy, happy belated birthday. Thanks, man. Take it easy, everybody.